Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Get one of them nice big juicy worms hanging out your mouth just on the edge there and then you're chewing it. Rugby playing cannibals, Steve Bruce's murder mysteries, ghostly visitations from the late George Best. As Halloween draws near, we've braved the haunted crypts of Upshot Towers, digging up a selection of macabre, gruesome and terrifying tales. Gather round, children. For the scariest stories in sport. <laughs> I'm Jack Rivlin, Jack the Ripper Rivlin, I should say. And joining me, as always, is my colleague, Zachary Sweeney Lynch. Hello, Jack. Have you got a spooky nickname, Zach? My physics teacher at school used to call me Zachary Sweeney Todd relentlessly every single time that he did the register. <laughs> so, uh,. <laughs> They got Mr. Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only register he's involved with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. As far as I, yeah. And yes. are, we are delighted to be joined once again by Mr. JP Lockwood. Do you want my spooky nickname? We'd love a spooky nickname. I can't believe I have to say this. <laughs> JP Lost in the Woods Lockwood. <laughs> Or locked in the woods? Uh, uh, JP yeah, locked in the woods Lockwood. <laughs> Welcome, mate. Uh, as we've made pretty clear this is a halloween special and we are recording from the excellent black lion pub in hammersmith which as well as doing a bloody good lager at a very fair price is one of london's most haunted pubs (laughs) so according to legend a bricklayer named thomas millwood was murdered in in this pub because he was mistaken for a ghost Uh, and ironically he then became a ghost who haunts these very premises 200 years on there is a real chill in here. Yeah, there is. Although the door is open, sorry. <laughs> you can feel a bit of an atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah. Although Zach and I on our recce here did ask the landlady, Yola, if she'd ever seen a ghost. And she said, I live here and I've never seen one. <laughs> but the chef, the old chef said he'd seen something. Mm. Yeah. Chefs, chefs. I'm a believer. 
Yeah, chefs are mental. We did consider recording in another very haunted pub in Slough, the Ostrich, mm. which was the site of a famous ghostly footballing crossover because friend of the pod, Jermaine Pennant, did a ghost tour there recently with his girlfriend, who is the star of Celebrity <laughs> Big Brother Series 28. Um, and there's, there's A-list. An, yeah, real A-list stuff. There's an amazing clip on YouTube of Pennant doing the ghost tour and they, they use some sort of phone app that conveniently communicates with the dead <laughs> and uh, the ghost speaks to them in a French accent for a bit and then calls Jermaine a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> At which point Pennant flees the pub in terror. <laughs> so that, that one did have good pedigree but it's a 45 minute commute so we left it and here we are at the Black Lion delighted to be here. I was going to suggest the Bow Bells which is apparently the most haunted pub in London but... Um... There apparently there's a ghost that resides in the women's bog and that has sh- uh, that shakes women while they're on the loo. Shakes oh, really? them, yeah. What sort of like grabs, grabs them, them and shakes them? Do yeah. you have first-hand experience of that? Well, I, well, I was reading about it online, and apparently none of the staff will work alone in the really? pub. Really? Yeah. You weren't spotted in the ladies' bog. You had to come up with a quick excuse. Well, I had to do <laughs> ghost some, hunting. I had to do some research. <laughs> so I'd say this episode involved quite hard research to collect together terrifying, gruesome, mystery, stories of murder. So it's a hodgepodge, but there's some pretty terrifying stuff in here. And, you know, the odd ghost sighting by a footballer like Mr. Pennant. Yeah, another another ghostly visitation by a footballer. So Alex Best, who's the ex-wife of George Best, claims that she's been haunted by his ghost for the past 16 years. Uh, and this started actually on the day of George's funeral when she was at their hotel room in Belfast and she was just about to leave when the shower came on by itself. So, <laughs> so that was George obviously, that was obviously one George loved showers. Yeah. <laughs> that was obviously one convincing episode, but it wasn't just that you'll be glad to hear. There's been a string of uh, mysterious episodes. So there was another time where one of her favorite tops, she was sure that she'd left it in the drawer and she went to look there and it, it wasn't in there. Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, she found it folded on top of the drawer. <laughs> so it was in there. Was it a cleaner? It was, yeah, and it, it, was, it's not, it wasn't just her that um, has experienced this. So friends of hers that have visited her house noted that things like their phone charges went missing, mm. uh, which is very, very, very spooky. Very, very George um, Best. He yeah, he phone charges. <laughs> yeah. So this had been this had been going on for a while, and I imagine that um, the lovely Alex Best was getting tired of people, you know, calling her an unhinged fruitcake or a, a complete loony <laughs> or an absolute nut job. Uh, <laughs> so she decided to call in the professionals from Channel 5's Celebrity Help My House Is Haunted. Who are you going to call? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Channel 5. <laughs> and they were able to gather more convincing proof of this uh, this haunting. So there was one episode where they, uh, they, they, they basically decked her house out with hidden cameras and... There was a bookshelf and one, they caught this on camera. One of the books was pulled out of the shelf, definitely not by fishing wire or anything like that. It was completely on its own. By a producer. And, <laughs> and you know which book was pulled out? I do. It was the autobiography of Mr. George Best. Oh, groundbreaking. Oh. <laughs> uh, and they, they, the producers also did some research into 
you know, the local history of, she, she lived in this, this old medieval farmhouse and they checked the census and nearby in 1902, there was a man by the name of George Best who lived nearby. <laughs> what a different um, George Best. <laughs> so, so, so maybe a different George Best <laughs> she's been haunted by, but, uh, what are the odds? Anyway, yeah. Anyway, I don't, I don't know if she's the most, uh, reliable witness because she also, uh, she went on this morning TV talking about these, these hauntings and she described going to visit a psychic medium. I mean, quite a few people do go and see a medium because yeah. I mean, everyone's really deep down is interested in this, oh, in yeah. this kind of thing. Um, but then I saw one, um, recently and he said, your grandmother, Jean says, hello. Well, how does he know my grandmother was called Jean? Could they look you up on the internet? Well, it's possible, isn't it? I mean, he lives in America, and I don't think my grandmother's just been dead 20 years. <laughs> they don't have the internet there. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in America. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> true. Uh, just a quick one. Did you see the team on the uh, Most Haunted show? No. One of the guys looks exactly like Roberto De Zerbi from Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> he has got a bit... The ghost hunting... He's, yeah, he's got yeah, like a goatee and he looks like yeah. exactly like him. You've got a little goatee in a waistcoat. Purple <laughs> yeah, waistcoat. That's the uniform. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Snooker and ghost hunting. <laughs> and magic, actually, which I yeah. guess is sort of the midpoint between the two. <laughs> that Alex Best clip. <laughs> that that, Alex, that Alex, Alex Best clip where... She says, he knew, he knew my grandmother's name was Jean. And he goes, well, maybe he looked you up on the internet. And she goes, well, he lives in America. <laughs> so there you have it. Irrefutable evidence. That <laughs> there are spirits. Yeah. That's reminded me of another footballing ghost hunting one, which is Manuel Almunia, when he was Arsenal keeper, had to, be, um, had to get special dispensation to leave training early because his... His wife claimed there was the ghost of a monk haunting their house. <laughs> so he had to leave training to go and exercise the monk and look after. <laughs> All right, we've done ghosts. Let's talk curses. Now, the concept of a curse in football and wider sports, nothing new. You probably heard about Derby, Sunderland, Southampton. They all claim to have had haunted stadiums, cursed stadiums. Barry Fry, the one-time owner slash manager of Birmingham, once had to piss in all four corners of the ground to try and banish a curse. As you do. Didn't work. They got relegated. Um, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the curse of Aaron Ramsey. Doesn't he always concede a goal on his first game? Or no, something no, no first it's better game? than that. So Aaron Ramsey, the Wales skipper, every time he scores, a celeb dies within 24 hours. All right, I'll, I'll give you a few. What? David Bowie, Alan Rickman, Osama Bin Laden, Sir Roger Moore, Whitney Houston, Steve Jobs, George W. Bush, Colonel Gaddafi, all died oh. <laughs> right after Aaron Ramsey scored a goal. And he, uh. he did in poor Michael Gambon the other day as well. He fucking <laughs> last minute penalty against Swansea. Gambon's <laughs> gone. Lost a, bit of, <laughs> lost a bit of film royalty there. Uh, Cheers, Aaron. <laughs> um, so. That is quite a record. It's big names as David well. David Bowie as well. Yeah. By the way, that's half the names on the list. I just picked a selection. It's mm. a mental... He doesn't score that often. However, those curses are vanilla compared to the hex that afflicted Norwegian side Tromso in the early 2000s. So this was sent in to us by a reader. It really is quite shocking. So in 2002, Tromso, they're one of the old great sides of Norwegian football, but they'd fallen on hard times and they'd been relegated to the second tier and they were looking like they'd be relegated again to the third tier, which presumably is 
pretty amateur in a small country. And their manager one day after a piss poor training session was taking a taxi home and he was lamenting the hard times his team had fallen on to the cab driver who was sort of listening, grunting along, lending an ear. And towards the end of the journey, the cab driver turned to him and said, listen, I may be a local cabbie, but I'm also a shami shaman. Side hustle. Yes. (laughs) Everyone's got one. (laughs) Could have been a podcast. (laughs) Gone for dark magic. (laughs) And the cabbie tells him, I can reverse your team's fortunes if you'll let me cast a curse. And the manager's like, fuck it, I've tried everything else. And so the week before a really big game, when frankly they should have been working on set pieces, the manager gathers all his players in a woodland with the shaman who casts a spell. And then he gives, he asks each player to take a personal possession and go and bury it in the nearby woods, which they do, which must have been quite farcical at the time. Anyway, they do that and the team then go on a ridiculous hot streak and they end up getting promoted that season. They basically win every other game and it's amazing the spells worked. Start the next season, they're going really well again. They're looking like they could even win the title. When the manager receives a phone call, it's the cabbie. And the cabbie says to him, you owe me money. I improved your team's fortunes. Pay me or I will make things very, very difficult for you. Mm. So the manager's like, fuck off, mate. Like, we obviously just got better at defending. I'm not, not paying you a penny. So he goes, okay, fine. See how that goes. And straight away, their fortunes dip and they once again find themselves back in the relegation zone. It's a mm. real sort of yo-yo. It must be a small, small leagues. Wow. And, uh, and so everyone's like, what the fuck do we do? And I have to say, in... If I was in the manager's position, I'd pay the cabbie. He's clearly got a lot mm, of power. Powers, and it's yeah. worth a go. But instead, the manager decides to c- consult another local shaman. Places, <laughs> places crawling with him, clearly. <laughs> Plenty of shamans to go around in Tromso. And, and the shaman says, there's only one way to lift this curse. You must sacrifice a goat in the middle of the field. So the manager goes to the dinner ladies, pays them the equivalent of 19 pounds to get hold of a van and a goat. <laughs> and in the dead of night before the last game, they've got the last game of the season, they need to win it to stay up. And in the dead of night, they, the night before, the dinner ladies take the goat out in a van, drive to the centre circle, slaughter it and soak its blood onto the grass. So like, it, I've, I don't know why, but when you were telling that, I felt like it was snowing and it was just very eerie. <laughs> oh, it was very dark. <laughs> dark and stormy <laughs> night. I think it was quite drizzly, actually. <laughs> anyway, the next day, they face this big game and it's against Rosenborg, the giants of Norwegian football at the time. And against all the odds, Tromso triumphed 2-1 and the fans are celebrating. And the only question on the fans' lips, why is the entire centre circle a deep shade of crimson red. Claret. Oh. <laughs> uh, spooky, eh? I feel like that's something Glenn Hoddle would do. <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he did the faith healer yeah, shit. Didn't he did that sort of shit, innit? You know, Tromzo, why I know Tromzo, it's because it's one of the most famous Chelsea matches in terms of like photography. We lost to him um, 3-2 in 1997. With, um, there was like three feet of snow on the pitch. Oh, really? Oh, yes. really? And a dead goat. <laughs> and a dead goat. <laughs> <laughs> so they were really one of the giants. I just made that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing European football. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Glenn Hoddle, what, he, he had a faith healer, right? And he said some quite 
horrible stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, stuff you might want to not want to repeat on the podcast, but I think it was something to do with a faith healer and disabled people. Eileen Drury. Mm. And I also read that Sven Goran Eriksson used a faith healer when he was England manager. Really? Despite all the controversy around Glenn Hoddle, we're, we're doing a Sven episode soon. And in, they found that the police arrested a faith healer who was basically a fraudster and they found a, an uncashed check from Sven for like six <laughs> <Really>? grand. <laughs> he was praying for um, Wayne Rooney's metatarsal. To- <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach, you, you've got quite an actual I've, this was, so This one, is yeah. actually quite a terrifying one. It's less spooky, but this is one that I'm going to call Fabio Quagliarella and the crazed stalker. So Fabio Quagliarella, you probably remember, is an Italian striker. And in 2009, he joined Napoli which is his hometown club. But shortly after signing, um, he starts receiving these messages accusing him of being involved with the local mafia, the Camorra. And around the same time, his parents start receiving letters to their house accusing Fabio of being a paedophile and of being a drug addict. And another time, they somebody sends them a picture of a coffin which has a photograph of Fabio nailed to it along with a death threat. So obviously Fabio is absolutely terrified and he confides in a childhood friend of his, a guy called Giulio Deriso. And Giulio tells him, Fabio, the, the, the same thing's been happening to me, these, these accusations of mafia involvement, but it's, it's not true. Giulio introduces Fabio to a policeman who's been helping him, a guy called Raphael Piccolo, who specializes in cybercrime. And Raphael's super helpful. He, he meets up with Fabio and he files reports and he takes Fabio's phone for evidence and gives him all kinds of advice on how he can, you know, try to stop this happening. And Fabio's super grateful. He gives him, you know, signed Napoli shirts, match tickets. But all the while, these messages keep on coming. So every time that Fabio goes out into Naples, his parents receive messages and phone calls saying, we're watching your son. We will beat him to death. These like absolutely terrifying things. So on on one hand, he's playing, he's living his dream. He's playing for his hometown club, the team that he supports. But at the same time, he's living in constant fear. And then he's speaking again to the, the policeman, Raphael Piccolo, and he tells him, Fabio, you can't tell anybody at Napoli about this. Normally in these stalking cases, it's, it's somebody close to you. It could be anyone. It could be the managers. It could even be a teammate. So Fabio, he keeps everything to himself and, you know, he's living in absolute torment for this year. And at the end of the season, he decides, I can't, I'm not safe in Naples. I have to leave. So he leaves and joins Juventus. And, you know, you can imagine how this would go down with the Napoli fans. Like he's, he's their hometown hero. Traitor. Yeah, exactly. And he's, he's left to go to Juventus of all teams, like the most successful Italian club, the one they all love to hate. So he becomes this absolute pariah in Naples. Even when his parents go out on the street, they the Napoli fans are abusing them because their son has has betrayed them. But Fabio moves to Turin. He's playing for Juventus, and he thinks that this is going to solve the issue. You know, I'm away from Naples. I'm away from the danger zone. But these messages keep on coming, continuing to accuse him of being involved with the mafia. But then back in Naples, there's a breakthrough. So. The policeman, Rafael Piccolo, um, he's continuing to meet with uh, Fabio Quagliarella's father. And in one of these meetings, the policeman tells him, I've started receiving these messages too. He's accusing me of being part of the mafia. And his dad's like, oh, can, I, can I see these messages? Like, 
are they the same as the ones Fabio has been getting? And the policeman is sort of ruffled and he's like, oh, no, I, I've deleted them. I've deleted them. And this begins to ring some alarm bells because that's exactly what the policeman had told them not to do. He was always like, don't, can't delete the messages. You need to keep the letters. This is all evidence. Don't delete anything. So he's like, hold on a second. Why have you deleted these? And meanwhile, Julia DeRiso, you remember, is the, the friend of Fabio's has gone along to the police station in Naples basically to get an update on their case. So he goes in there and he says to the police behind the desk, like, I'm a friend of Fabio Quagliarella's. We've been receiving these messages accusing us of being involved in the mafia for, for a couple of years now. I just want an update. And can I see the reports? And the police are like, what reports? And they go off to the back room and they come back and there's, there's, there are no reports. I don't know what you're talking about. So suddenly the, the pennies dropped it's a bent copper. It's a bent copper. So the police open a investi- an investigation into to Rafael Piccolo, the policeman. And as part of their investigations, they look at all his activity online and they notice a similarity between the way he writes on Facebook and the messages that had been sent to Fabio Quagliarella. It's difficult to explain, but when he's writing after a comma, he doesn't leave a space. And this is kind of a, you know, it seems like a minor grammatical error, but it matches between the things that the policeman had written online and the messages Fabio had received. So eventually this investigation goes on and the police raid Rafael Piccolo's house. They take his computers and on his hard drives, they find evidence that he's been stalking and harassing dozens of people. So this drags on and eventually in 2017, it goes to court and Piccolo is jailed for five years for right. for harassment. So this is this is seven years after Quagliarella had left Napoli. But was yeah. it just by chance that the best friend introduced him to Piccolo and then Piccolo was just a naughty cop? Well, he was stalking the best friend as well. Yeah, ah. so, so, so this this basically got a kick out of stalking and harassing people. So he did it, he did it to people at all walks of life. He, yeah, there were why? lawyers, why? teachers. He's just twisted, I guess. I think he's, I don't know, I Psych think he power. just, yeah, he just... Yeah. Wanting to feel important maybe. Yeah, I think I think he's like I think also hero. exactly that's the thing because the this policeman he was a specialist in cybercrime so he sort of swanned in and became the savior for these people or that's at least that's what they thought was that he was helping them and he did pretty well out of it. I mean with Fabio Quagliarella he got signed shirts, match yeah. tickets. He was friends with Fabio Quagliarella. So he was it was kind of a status thing for him as well. And I guess he just got a kick out of um, tormenting these people. Godlike power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mm. quite quite terrifying. Uh, I'm surprised but the Napoli fans didn't come after him. After the police was, yeah. he was jailed. He was jailed for five years. So he must, he's probably getting out. He's out. He's, he's out. actually, so. Right, let's find him. Well, well, interestingly, so there's, there's, a, there's a really good long read article about this on Bleacher Report. And at the end, the, I forget the name of the person who wrote the article, goes to track down Piccolo and he's working as a police officer again. <laughs> in, Sorry. I, nice. yeah, that is sort yeah. of it's Italy criminal system in a nutshell, isn't it? Everyone always <laughs> gets in. out. Everyone always appeals yeah. and gets off. Yeah, yeah. That's mental. So, uh, How's a corrupt policeman ever working? <laughs> Surely if you've been to jail, that's the end of your jail police career. <laughs> <laughs> for abusing your position as a police officer. Is, just yeah. Let him, let him. yeah. Just after the court case had been, had ended and Piccolo had been sent down, Fabio could finally come out and tell his side of the story. So I think the day after he's in, in a, in a 
post-match interview and he kind of breaks down and says the truth can come out now and it's kind of mysterious everyone's like what's he on about and then a few days later he does this big really tearful emotional interview on Italian TV where he comes out and tells the story and the following week the Napoli fans who you know for the past seven years have been branding him a traitor and abusing him every time he plays there they unfurl a banner at the at the stadium uh, and they sing a song dedicated to Fabio that ends with the lines dear Fabio forgive us champion Ah, oh, water uh, under the bridge. Which, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My career is <laughs> ruined. death threats for the last seven years. But I mean, yeah, the worst part there is ending up getting real death threats from Napoli fans. Yeah. Yeah. You You're like, get off my yeah. case, <laughs> would you? You think I haven't got enough shit going on? Yeah. That's actually terrible. It's a real, a real life horror story, right? Yeah, and quite yeah. is a big name, right? He played for Italy sort of yeah. 20, 30 times. Yeah. Do you think his career would have been more successful? I mean, I'd like to think that he would have stuck around at Napoli and been a hero yeah, icon, yeah. I think that's what he would have wanted as well but yeah. I mean he had a decent career I think he won the league with Juventus so yeah you, Piccolo. yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll track him down yeah an episode from <laughs> Naples yeah Perfect. that Quagliarella story is the most mental like it's it's, it's true it's a true crime true crime yeah. true crime drama yeah selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. <laughs> okay, speaking of crime drama, Steve Bruce is known for many things, uh, a rock in Alex Ferguson's defense, probably the greatest English player to never get a cap for his country and uh, being a bit of a tactically inept cabbage head, according to <laughs> fans at Aston Villa. But did you guys know that Steve Bruce also has a sideline in murder mystery fiction? Uh, <laughs> I actually couldn't believe this. <laughs> 
Sue Bruce is the author of a semi-autobiographical trilogy following Mulcaster United legend Steve Barnes <laughs> as he solves murders, foils terror plots, and takes out baddies with slide tackles, all mm. while guiding Leddersfield Town to promotion. <laughs> It's a sort of parallel universe in which the names have been tweaked slightly. So Man United, Manchester United and Mulcaster United, Huddersfield Town and Leddersfield Town. He's Steve Barnes. It's, it's a bit like Pro Evolution Soccer, where the names have been slightly altered. You know, Ronaldo and Adrian Muku. Uh, I, I, I don't want to, I think we'll do a full episode on this. The author, Seamus O'Reilly, is the authority. He's read all three books. The books are called Striker, Sweeper, and Defender, with exclamation marks. And Seamus O'Reilly's done a real deep dive. We're going to get him on for a deep dive, but I I just want to share a few of my favourite bits. I'm real. Um, So according to Seamus, the books cram all the action into like one or two pages, both the promotion on the pitch and also solving all the murders. And the rest of it is just endless, inane filler including seven separate mentions of Bruce slash Barnes's GCSE results. <laughs> Mo- like bragging about GCSE results. Multiple descriptions of his 3.2 litre Jaguar XJ8. Of course. Which Bar- Bruce does own in real life. <laughs> uh, my favourite bit is that there's, there's a nightclub owning drug dealer who fancies Bruce and uh, uh, Seamus describes him as a lisping, mincing, one-dimensional queen with a glad eye for middle-aged football managers. <laughs> there's, a, there's a passage. There's a passage where he says to Bruce, "My, you do have a lovely physique." <laughs> and, and, and Bruce goes in the book. He goes, "It was clear he was no ladies' man." <laughs> do you think this part is based on semi-based on reality? No, I think what's nice is it mixes bragging about as reality and then just pure fantasy. Yeah. There's, a, there's like a seven page interlude in the middle of a murder where he talks about the irrigation system in the Yorkshire Dales. <laughs> you like, would, you'd never expect Steve Bruce to have all, uh, like a writing flair, would you? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Steve Bruce fan. I've yeah. never understood the shit he gets. He's got half gold in yeah. my opinion, but didn't know he had it in the locker. Never. I imagine like Daniel Fark or someone like that writing <laughs> autobiographies and books. Why well, do you need to be a little bit hip? Yeah. Yeah. Deserby must write poetry. Deserby, well, he's yeah. doing his magic, mate, yeah. and his ghost hunting. <laughs> Deserby's busy ghost hunting. <laughs> I'll give you a couple more, my favourite bits. Um, near the finish, a sniper shoots a football out from under Barnes's foot as he's standing in the technical area. <laughs> and then someone's murdered at the other end of the pitch. <laughs> and he also, Bruce obviously uses the books to settle a few real life scores. So there's a, there's a bit where he's kidnapped by MI5 and they ask him to go undercover and he refuses saying, my country never wanted me, which is a, re- <laughs> a reference to the fact that he never got capped by England <laughs> in real life. Still bitter, uh, Steve, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Just settling old scores. Yeah. So Bruce is quite bashful about the whole thing. He doesn't really like to talk about it. Um, They're very collectible, right? We, yeah, tried, yeah, we, we, we tried to get a hold of someone. 300 Ryan, quid on eBay. 300. Well, I'm not sure how many were printed. I think they're self-published. Do you reckon <laughs> Steve Bruce is now selling them on eBay? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's collecting them. Rare, signed, yeah. collectible, first edition. <laughs> Looking forward to his retirement. Hopefully he'll yeah. have time to churn out a few more. Of the fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there's also, there's one of them where um, the groundsman of a club is launching some plot against Israel and it turns out that he's an undercover Yugoslav war criminal who's caught because of his Slavic cheekbones. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that is so, so much more. We're going to do it in a proper episode on Brucey, but 
yeah, incredible. What a man. Mm. Are they available on um, on Kindle? Good question. You'd assume so because it's self-published, but he might have written them on a typewriter or something. I'd quite like to read them. There's an interview with his son he's... where he's, um, it's like when this was first coming out that he'd written them and his son's asked about it and it's like, no, no, that's different, Steve. Steve Bruce says, <laughs> nothing to do with my dad. And then it turns out it was him. <laughs> and they're semi-autobiographical. <laughs> Thinly veiled. <laughs> Completely ashamed of his old man. Yeah, they should yeah. do it like my dad wrote a porno. Yeah, I think, with Alex Bruce. Alex Bruce reading. I think I think uh, a podcast. I want to say quickly. Kevin have or someone have gone mm. chapter by chapter. Yeah, yeah. So I okay. really recommend that. Maybe we'll get them on to talk about it as well. Yeah, poor old Bruce. He gets a bit of stick, but I absolutely love him. All right, I've got one for you. Uh, that's pretty gruesome. So I should I should begin this by saying this one's quite sad and quite gruesome, but I think it is fitting in a Halloween tale. This is the story of Uruguayan rugby team Old Christians who were flying to Chile in the 1970s for a match when their plane crash-landed in a really remote part of the Andes. Half of the people on the plane were killed immediately, but the other half survived and were sheltering in the fuselage of the plane in really cold conditions. We're talking minus 30. You're at altitude. You've got altitude sickness. It's freezing cold. And obviously their initial hope is well, we're going to be found. The pilot says, oh, I'm pretty sure we're near a Chilean town called Curico. Um, We're not far. They'll find us. The pilot then dies. And the player's thinking, okay, we're going to be rescued. After eight days, they hear on the radio that's still working on the plane that the search has been called off because they can't make out the plane against the snow. They see planes flying over, but the planes can't see them. Not Can they not light a fire or something? I don't, I don't think they had much on there. They had very little. It's snowing. Yeah. yeah, they try and make an SOS <laughs> sign on the roof of the plane in lipstick. But obviously that's there. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> how old, how old are these kids? Uh, I think they're they're like students. They're like nineteen oh, okay. kind of thing. There are a few adults quite, on board it's quite as well. Lord of the Flies. Isn't it, it? It's yeah, quite Lord well. of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It gets very Lord of the Flies. <laughs> Funny you should mention that. So just setting you up there. Interestingly, they never run out of cigarettes because there are loads. I guess because they're duty free. You'd be but, absolutely chaining them. Yeah, wouldn't you? it's all you got to do. <laughs> that and the bad thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the bad thing that's coming up. Now, food is obviously the natural concern. And after a week, they've run out of food. They each get one almond to last them four days. That's how desperate the food situation is. There is a moment where they find another piece of the plane. They find a bit more food, but it doesn't last long. And so pretty soon the talk turns to, okay, well, how are we going to eat? And at first they try eating their clothes, but they need to stay warm. They try eating the seats of the plane because they think these are leather, but it Mm. turns out they're made from some sort of artificial 1970s plastic and they're treated in chemicals. So they all just Mm. puke and they're steadily getting weaker and weaker. And so pretty soon talk turns to the inevitable macabre solution, which is cannibalism. (laughs) They've been, mm. they've been there for a couple of weeks by this point and, you know, they're starving. And so first of all, the players, a core group of the players agree, if I die, you can eat me, is what they say. So then there's like, okay, well, we're going to need someone to die pretty quickly mm. if, in order for this to work. And the rumour spreads among the other people in the group. There's a few people who aren't members of the rugby team who are just on the flight anyway, and they're horrified. Um, but eventually a couple of mavericks break away and they try a bit of frozen human flesh. They use glass to carve it away. And mm. I think a few of them are sick, but they managed to eat. They probably had some good practice from the rugby initiations. So, right? <laughs> <laughs> well prepped. 
Oh, God. I've eaten worse. <laughs> They're used to consuming human fluids. Uh, consume. <laughs> They've all had bits of each other in their mouths before. It's nothing new. Anyway, so it starts with the... It starts with the frozen flesh. And then they work out that you can dry it in the sun on the roof of the plane, which improves the taste immeasurably, I'm told. And uh, pretty soon everyone's at it. And, you know, initially they're disgusted. People are puking. But by the end, they're eating everything. Mm. But obviously, talk turns to, okay, how are we going to get out of here? The search has been called off. We've got to find our own way out or we're going to die in the end. And two guys eventually volunteer. They're going to try and hike out of out of where they are. They have no idea where they are. But the pilot said, oh, we're near the Chilean border. We're near a village. So they're like, okay, we'll hike west where they think it is. They've got no hiking gear. They're at altitude. They don't, you know, they've barely got shoes and stuff. So they, they sort of makeshift a few things. They've got no tents and two of them set off and they hike 38 miles at altitude. It takes 10 days. They lose, one of them loses half his entire body weight. He loses about 40 kilos. Did they bring a little lunchbox? (laughs) (laughs) They did. They got a lunchbox. They they stash away enough human flesh to last some of the trip. They didn't just bring like a whole body with them no no they didn't no. they didn't sort of drag their mate yeah, behind them yeah. but they bring they bring some extra dried flesh and they were given extra rations before and they do actually come across another bit of plane that has some more food in it mm. but it's still an astonishing they make it and they eventually somehow they hike through a mountain range 38 miles they eventually do reach countryside and they find a chilean farmer yell to him across the river it takes him 24 hours to get across to them but eventually they're rescued and in the end, um, the res- uh, rescue helicopters come for people. They've been there 72 days living off cannibalism. And the, the Red Cross people who come and rescue them start to notice a few slightly horrifying things. But of course, what else would you do in their position? Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair, fair play, really. <laughs> Apparently they're they all would... Catholics and they convince themselves it's a bit like doing um, the Eucharist, you know? Mm. This is my body. I suppose if it's literally your survival, mm. you've got yeah. to consider it. If I was dead already in this pub, if we got snowed in. <laughs> it's so cold, it might we might do. Then I would be happy for you guys to eat me to survive. I'm dead. Who cares? Yeah. You'll have company in here with Thomas Millwood as well. <laughs> yeah. after, I'll, the, I'll, in the afterlife. I'll haunt the pub. Yeah. <laughs> God, you'd, you'd be such an annoying ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> um, one final detail on the poor boys in the Uruguayan plane crash. The worst thing at all is that little did they know that to the east, there was a hotel that was closed for the winter, but which had stores of tinned food and a working phone. And it was only 13 miles downhill. They reckon it was a one to two day trek. You'd be gutted, wouldn't you? Yeah, they found that out later. Because these guys trekked 10 days. I can't believe they made it. Later on, one of them, one of their fathers tries to recreate the hike they do and he has to turn back because he can't do it. And he's in full hiking gear. Jesus. Fair yeah. play. Mad. Didn't Sick. have the same snack bars though, did he? <laughs> 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 Something about that flesh. Yeah. <laughs> Adrenaline. Yeah. I do recommend there's a book called Alive that I read during COVID that describes the whole thing and it is amazing. There is a Netflix series as well. Oh, really? For those that don't want to read. <laughs> <laughs> for the non-boffs of yeah. the audience. <laughs> we see the, the pictures for real. Yeah, yeah, I mean, some of it's pretty grim, to be honest. Fascinating, though, isn't it? Mm. Back to uh, something slightly less horrific. Back to football. And Mr. Ian Holloway. 
one of my favourites. I feel like Ian Holloway always looked like he should be presenting Most Haunted on Channel 5 rather than, you know, drilling Brett Ormerod on long throws. Why? Because of the waistcoat? Because, yeah, he's, waistco- he's a waistcoat wearer as well. Yeah. Right? yeah. Further yeah. evidence. Zerby. Does he play snooker? <laughs> Magic? <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. Also, his accent. West Country, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, That's quite spooky, isn't it? The yeah. West Country accent. All right, my lovers. <laughs> <laughs> well keep themselves to uh, themselves you won't won't be surprised to hear that holloway has been visited by a ghost um so he claims that the the ghost of his late father visited him this was in in the 90s so ian holloway was was playing for qpr at that time he was living in bristol and he was driving up and down from london all the time and sadly his his father passed away and shortly after he was he was on this drive and suddenly the car stereo lit up and it lit up the whole car, which was strange because it was the middle of the day. And a Mariah Carey song was playing on the, on the stereo. And when the line shining down from heaven came on, the volume cranked up to the top volume just for the duration <laughs> of that song and then went back down again. And Ian swears that he saw the, um, saw the dial move and yeah so he believes that was uh what was, in was the, his... the, the frequency of the radio station changed i think the song was playing already but the volume just went up and he had, that, <laughs> had that traffic and travel setting that just changes the station for yeah him. i think he probably did realize there was also a dial on the steering wheel um not very uh halloweeny but do you want to know my favorite ian holloway quote go on yeah Managing a club is a lot like making love to a mermaid. You should always finish in the top half. <laughs> Don't quote me on it because I've not seen him. I've not seen it on video, but there is a load of Twitter memes about it. Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, so Ian also. Uh, so when he when he joined Grimsby Town in 2019, he informed his chairman that he'd uh, he'd signed a manager whose wife is a white witch. <laughs> so according to Ian, his his wife, his name's Kim, uh, is, a, is a pagan who believes in omens. And she'd actually foreseen him getting the, the Grimsby job. So this is a quote from, from Ian. I'll do it in the, the West Country accent. Yeah. When we were leaving the ground after, after an initial meeting with the Grimsby directors, she told me to slow down and a black cat ran straight across in front of the, our car. She looked to the left and there was a five-pointed star in the window of the house the cat ran into. From that moment, she was convinced I would get the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, geez, yeah, so he's got a spirit, a, a pagan in the home. <laughs> You'd be disappointed to hear that Grimsy were relegated the following season. Although Kim probably saw that coming. Mm. Uh, very yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I thought that might get a few bigger laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> but just some disappointed <laughs> groans. <laughs> Great West Country accent, though. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Felt like I was listening to a sort of Radio 4 play. Yeah. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, like <laughs> the Red Arches. Wall. Yeah. <laughs> um, while we're on the subject of Ian Holloway, there's one more mystery uh, that he was involved in. So this is from the 2013 championship playoff uh, semi-final when he was managing Crystal Palace and they were playing their arch rivals, Brighton. 
Um, and in the second leg, the Crystal Palace team arrived at the Amex and went down to the dressing room, opened the door and were horrified to find that the dressing room had been smeared with human shit, like all over the floor, all around the toilet. wasn't expecting the words human shit, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was... Spooky. <laughs> and as you can imagine, they were disgusted yeah. <laughs> and pretty furious, really. It was like they, they thought this was mind games from the Brighton backroom staff or whatever. Uh, and they were completely fired up for the game and they went out and they won 2-0 Wilfred Zaha scored twice a famous famous win and after the game Gus Poye the the Brighton manager um sent this email round to all of the Brighton staff he was fuming um he said someone has done something terrible to say it in clear English someone had a poo in quote marks, <laughs> outside all the toilets, <laughs> over and around the toilets. Um, so he basically blamed this on a rogue member of staff. Um, but a few days later, the mystery shitter was revealed um, to be the Crystal Palace coach driver. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Could he not um, make it? <laughs> no, so apparently what happened was that he, he basically just had a nasty case of the shits and had run into the dressing room um, and basically didn't make it to the toilet in time, caused a bit of a mess and tried to clean it up with paper towels and <laughs> didn't do a very good job. And failed miserably. Yeah, just ended up smearing <laughs> shit. Ended up just smearing shit all over there. Oh, well, then the just toilet. did a runner. And then did a runner, yeah, I assume, yeah. For fuck's When sake. did he come clean? Just a few days uh, later. I think, it, I think he confided in the kit man. Um, Big mistake, that got sips. Apparently, so Crystal Palace went on and won the um, the playoff final, got promoted to the Premier League. And by that point, the uh, the story had made it to the team. Um, and apparently they, they got on the coach after the game and they're, they're in high spirits and probably had a few beers by that point. And apparently they were <laughs> they were serenading the coach driver saying, he, he shits where he wants. He shits where he wants. Our coach driver, he shits where he wants. Golly. Do you reckon he's loving that? <laughs> no, yeah. apparently he was just sitting at the front of the coach. Like, oh, God. Eyes oh, on the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Mystery soul. Mystery soul. God, they follow Holloway wherever he goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite a Scooby Doo ending, really. Yeah. Isn't it? And I would have gotten away with it yeah, if it wasn't yeah, for yeah. you, pesky kit, man. The kit, man. Yeah. <laughs> Tell no one in that scenario. Yeah. Maybe you thought there'd be like a DNA test or something. <laughs> okay. Well, is is everyone suitably terrified by those stories? I'm shaking in my bones. Yeah. There is an atmosphere in here. Not not sure I'm going to sleep very well mm. tonight. Um, well, thank you all for listening. And if you can't sleep, then please check out more of our podcasts, which are much less scary. Um, thank you, Zach, as always. Thank you. Thank you, JP, for joining us. Thank you very much. All right. But before we go, there's just one more thing. While watching Jermaine Pennant's spooky tour of the pub in Slough, where he was called a dickhead by the ghost, I learned that there is a special tool used by by mystics, not available to mere mortals, but available on the Apple store for the princely sum of two ninety nine, And that is a necrophone, <laughs> a new, a special new piece of technology, which allows us to talk to the dead. It's an app. Um, and I'm now going to fire up the necrophone and see <laughs> if we can communicate with the ghosts of George Best or uh, Tommy Thomas, Millard. Thomas Millard, who, if you were listening, was the guy who died on the site of the Black Lion pub. 200 years ago to this very night. <laughs>
Oh, oh we're getting something. What? Oh my god. <laughs> no, you are. No, you. Wow. Oh my. This is terrifying. Oh, I'm absolutely terrified. Yeah. There's a strong paranormal presence in this room, it seems. Oh, sorry, our free trial's run out. <laughs> <laughs> Got to watch an ad before we can listen to the rest of the ghost. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. <laughs>